This is Too Old For This Shit. Each week we dissect, discuss and critique the best and worst action movies from the 80s and 90s. You're listening to the podcast that puts critical thought into a mindless genre. My name is Antonio and I'm joined by my co-host Josh. Hey, I'm here. Uh, now, Josh grew up watching these films. I did. I am seeing them for the first time and giving them a fresh perspective. <laughs> and giving them a fresh perspective. Thank you. You just kicked Jerry me under the table, okay? <laughs> um, now, this film is a little bit different in that I have actually seen it and you have not. Oh, my God, a plot twist. <laughs> um, so the film we are watching today is... Midnight Run. This is a personal favourite of mine. I never even, truthfully, I never actually even heard of this movie. Well, the, And then you started talking about it and I was like, what the... Did Robert De Niro's and <laughs> yeah. Charles Grodin, what? Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin starring in the, the buddy action film Midnight Run. So my the first time I saw this would have been about eight or nine years ago. I heard about it from a radio show I used to listen to hosted by comedian Tony Martin. It is his number one film recommendation because he believes that, like, it's a film that appeals to anyone. He's like, if you ever, if I ever recommend a film to someone, that is the one because it's, like, perfect middle of the road, does what it says on the cover, decent surprises, just, like, it's it's good. Yeah, I can see that. So that... I mean, I haven't seen it, but, yeah, yeah I can see that. <laughs> so I bought it on DVD with that recommendation and then I watched it probably twice in the space of three weeks. Okay. And one of those times was with a group of people of different ages and uh, and tastes and they all actually did enjoy the film. They were genuinely surprised. Did you take a Google survey like after <laughs> this? <or? laughs> no, no, no. I just, I just distinctly remember everyone going, oh, that was a good film Yeah, uh, at the end of it. So um, that it's always held a special place in my heart, but I have not watched it in about five years. Okay. So I'm interested to see if it still holds up. It's been a long time. All right. I'm interested too because this, this is like uh, this is a movie that I'm like, I thought I was pretty much a you know De Niro fan. Like I'd seen most of his stuff. And I, like I said, I just didn't you, know this one. Nah, you missed one. Totally missed it. Totally missed it. All right. Well, let's. I'm, I'm very excited to see what you think and to see whether or not my impressions still hold up. Let's dive in. Nothing personal, Jack, but fuck off, all right? Take it easy. Jesus. Martin, what's up? I got money, you know. I'm sure you do. I'll give you whatever you want. Stop by shutting up. I know you all of two minutes, and already I don't like you. See, that's too bad. I really like you. Alonzo Mosley, FBI. That's a nice badge. How can I get one of those? Yeah? Is this moron number one? Put moron number two on the phone. I also suffer from acrophobia and claustrophobia. Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't cooperate, you're going to suffer from fistophobia. He got the duke! No kidding. And we're back. We are. We made it. We made it by midnight. Yes, we got there. No, was it 11.48? I think it was when he... Well, 11.28 was when he got out of the airport or something. Yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. He gets right before the deadline. Yes. So, yeah. Initial reactions for Midnight Run. Um, well... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. no, no. no. This isn't, I have a feeling it's like, is this going to be like your Hudson Hawk? Like, no. Well, no, look, let's put it out of the way. I definitely look back on it with rose-tinted glasses for sure. After seeing it now, I'm kind of like, oh, okay. It's, yeah, there are, there, it's, it's not perfect and probably not amazing either. But, um, but I definitely enjoy bits of it and it does some stuff that I really, really like. I liked it, um, but I felt like I watched it too late in life. I feel like if I right. had watched this movie when I was either a kid or 
sometime in, well, what came out, 88 it came 88. out? Yeah, yeah. So it would have been about six. So, I mean, I obviously wouldn't be watching this movie. There's a lot of <laughs> no. swearing in this movie. Apparently 112 F, F-bombs in the F-bom- film. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, I think maybe if I'd watched this on VHS as a kid, I would I would have a better relationship to it. Yeah. But I didn't think it was bad. I can see why it's a cult classic. It yeah. has a reputation being a cult classic. But I don't think it, it will not be a cult classic for me. It's the, it's the interplay between De Niro and Grodin and also... Uh, John Ashton's character, and who he's the he's the other bounty hunter. Oh, Marvin. Yeah, yeah, Marvin. I liked Marvin. Yeah, that like those three, and also like the whole thing with Yafet Koto as Alonzo Mosley. Um, it's it's just and 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 the and the the Goomba bloody mobsters. Yeah, like all it's all those and and yeah, and Dennis Farina. Like it's all the character stuff in this that I just really really enjoy. Like these characters, apart from Charles Grodin's character, really everyone is just. He's either angry or an idiot. Smartass. Yeah, and they just have some great one-liners. And, yeah, for me, and and one of the reasons I think, um, yeah, this film works so well is, and is key to how they put the film together as well is casting Grodin alongside De Niro as opposed to other options that they had. And it's really, when I, when I heard, like, Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro together, it's really, like, the concept is great. Like it's like, yeah. what the heck? Yeah, like, no, it doesn't sound like it should work at all. You, and you also go, you also go, well, Charles Grodin, what the fuck has he done? Oh, well, <laughs> see the thing. Well, look, uh, look for me, Charles Grodin is like, uh, he's in a lot of comedy movies, and right, it, it, it yeah, I, I know what a Charles Grodin movie, or like, you know what his role is, but like, putting him together with De Niro is just a really interesting choice. But well, it see, works. I, yeah, see, I, I, the only thing I can think of, he immediately comes to mind when I. Th- well, Beethoven immediately comes to mind when I think well, of him. That's it, yeah. Which is, yeah. So, yeah, starring Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. We've also got, as I said before, Yafet Koto playing the FBI agent Alonzo Mosley. Oh, what, the wonderful Yafet Koto yeah. from Alien and uh, he used to be on Homicide. He was like the, oh, he was right. the lieutenant on Homicide, left on the street. <laughs> um, John Ashton as Marvin Dorfler. He's one of those faces that you see throughout the 80s and sort of would have bit parts and everything, but, like, he does an amazing job. Yeah. As the 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 second the the second rate bounty hunter to <laughs> De Niro's Jack Walsh. Oh, you know Charles Grodin was in Heart and Souls as well. <laughs> <laughs> We're only talking about Heart and Souls last, <laughs> last time. time. Um, Joe Pantoliano with hair. Yeah, <laughs> which I, I don't think I've ever seen him with hair. Dennis Farina. And yeah, Dennis Farina just doing Dennis Farina. Another things. good paisano. Yeah, exactly. all the paisanos. De Niro. What what is paisano? Actually, what does that actually Countryman. mean? Oh, country. Bit. Kind of. Okay. So it's kind of like, oh, yeah. país, country. Pa- well, pa- a paese, I think, means country. Yeah. I think. Well, in God. Spanish, país is country. There we yes. go. Um, okay. So, so yeah. So, and then, oh, who are the guys who play the the um, the mobsters? Because they were great. Um, stereotype Italian-American. <laughs> a. A. <laughs> stereotype American. But the other guy, the, the kind of the balding guy was, he didn't strike me as like, he didn't strike me as being a paisano, actually. I was kind of like... You reckon of of the two the two gangsters? Yeah, he didn't. Was he? It'll be interesting to figure out what his actual name is. Oh, you could be right. I think it's. You know what? Looking at these names, you could be right. Uh, Richard Forangi, 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 and Robert Miranda. Like Robert Miranda, probably. That dude. Is. That's 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 one of them. That's because I know that I know that Joey. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, you might be right. Actually, Tony Darbo. 
Garrett. Yeah, I can't remember the character name. Let's be honest, they're just Goomba <laughs> 1 and Goomba 2. Um, Paisano 1 and Paisano 2. But so in terms of um, how De Niro got onto this film, yes, he, off the back of Untouchables, wanted to do something different. He wanted to do a comedy. You mean he was sick of playing stereotypical <laughs> Italian-American characters? Yeah, yeah, he was sick of it. And so, so, yeah, and so this script came along and he really, really liked it. Um, and Charles Grodin... His role went through a few changes. Apparently Albert Brooks turned this role down, which I think is probably a mistake. I reckon he... if On Brooks's part? Yeah. Could you imagine Albert Brooks and Robert De Niro yeah. in this film? I, I, you have to, I, have to, I love Albert Brooks. Yeah. He's like, brilliant. He would have... Like, Grodin does a great job, but Albert Brooks... Might have made this movie a yeah. bit better. I don't, yeah, look. Um, apparently uh, Robin Williams was interested but was never auditioned because once they saw Charles Grodin's audition with De Niro, they were like, we've got it. Yeah, okay. And at one stage uh, Paramount wanted the role to be played by Cher because she was doing quite well at the time. What and the fuck? <laughs> so what, so she could like dance on a cannon in a Navy? Uh, I don't know. And they wanted to add sexual overtones. To the film. Oh um, I mean, look, there's enough between De Niro and Grodin. Yeah, exactly. Be... Talking about fucking animals. like. Yeah, exactly. They talk about having sex with chickens <laughs> at some point. That is actual dialogue from the movie, folks. Yes. Um, improvised dialogue as well. I wondered about that, like how yeah. much of the dialogue... Because, I mean, really what this movie is, is a variation on the kind of, you know, annoying companion movie. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. it's it's a plane, trains, and automobiles. What's the other one? Due Date, that horrible, horrible oh. Zach Galifianakis. I mean, that yeah, was just yeah. a horrible remake of, unofficial oh. remake of Plane, Trains. Yeah. Um, there's another one too, Bulletproof with Adam Sandler. And it's right. very similar to this actually with and Damon Wayans. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's almost like it's the apex almost of the buddy action film genre that started in the early 80s from yeah. things like 48 Hours. Um, the mismatched yeah. hero, the mismatched characters who are forced together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty-eight hours. Actually, no, Lethal Weapon is probably the apex of that, actually. To be honest, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. but th- that's that's a little bit different in the sense, like th- these are what I'm talking about. This type of movie is is the t- is, is the ticking clock. Oh, the, the, is the ticking the road, clock the road film. It's a road. Yeah, it's yeah. this. It's the throw. Circumstances throw them together. Road. I, there's there's no real concise way to say this. There's this is what I'm no. finding as I'm describing this genre is there is literally no concise description. But I think I think yeah, when you say sort of yeah, it's that it's that thing. It's, it's that the ticking journey. clock element. Yeah, yeah. It's that with due date, with bulletproof, with planes, trains, and automobiles. There's there's a ticking clock, so they have to make it to a place by a certain time, and the mode of transportation keeps changing. Yeah. So, anyways, we should probably speaking <laughs> of which, we should probably do the plot. So. Jack Walsh is an ex-cop turned bounty hunter who has to get the mafia accountant John the Duke Madukas back to LA by midnight, otherwise he won't get the hundred grand reward from his bail bondsman friend Marconi. Jack's eager to get the money so he can get out of the bounty hunting game for good. It's not an easy trip because the Duke is the most annoying person in the world to Jack. Also because the FBI, the mafia, and Jack's bounty hunter nemesis Marvin are also out to kill, arrest, or bring in the Duke. It's a cross-country game of hide-and-seek as everyone is out to get everyone. Everyone is double-crossing everyone and every means of transport is used to get the two men from New York to L.A. before fr- the Friday midnight deadline. And that's it's, it. But, like, did you... Did actually, in and terms look, of the, the plot, description, though, Yes, look, that, and I will say, when I wrote that, that is the description of the plot, but I will say that that description does not do the film justice. 
well, because yeah, it's, it's, what, it's, it's so much of it is about the interplay of all the characters. Yeah, but because when I'm thinking watching the film again, I feel like it's the it's quite dense in terms of the plot. Like, there's a lot going yeah, on. It is very because dense. there's the background for De Niro's character, there's a background for Groden's character as well as to how they're both involved with um, Serrano, who's the gangster. And as I was writing this plot, I I left all that out because. Yeah. As soon as I started getting into any little aspect of it, I was like, oh, I have to include this. I have to include that. Yeah, exactly. And it gets very dense very quick. But what I thought, yeah, watching it again, what I thought was interesting is that you have all of these elements, but it doesn't, the film doesn't feel overstuffed necessarily. No, it doesn't. Um, and that's probably one of its biggest strengths is that it's this, it's, I wouldn't say complex story, but it's a full, it's, it's a rich story that's told in such a way and, and, and that doesn't feel like you're getting exposition dumps. But it also, and you just kind of enjoy the ride for the most of it. And that's what these movies are. Um, and uh, the, speaking of uh, how it was written, George Gallo, the writer, uh, who yep. also is the writer on this film, who also wrote Bad Boys, the, the original Bad Boys. Mm. A lot of his movies are these sort of similar buddy type movies, like Wise Guys with Danny DeVito and Joe Pataliano, yep. The Whole Ted Yards. He did a film called Double Take with Orlando Bloom and Eddie Griffin. So there's a lot of these buddy movies that he seems to kind of specialize in this genre. This film also feels like the kind of film that doesn't get made as much in this post-internet age where we have superhero films and big spectacles and stuff. It's like these little action films, which a lot of what we're seeing when watching when doing this podcast is yeah, that they, they just they're there just to make a small amount of money. You know, it's just a little investment for the studio. And it's just this fun little ride that, yeah, may end up just getting forgotten in two years. Mm. Well this is an act I mean this is definitely an actor driven film. Yeah. And it's- and a lot of what Gallo has done is kind of like that as well. It's just like you know, it's the kind of thing that, yeah, we'll probably make a studio at 10 million bucks and then... Yeah, well, this movie was successful, wasn't it? Reasonably. Um, Not a huge hit. It was a roughly $30 million budget, made $35 million domestically and then I think another 40 internationally. Yeah, so so yeah, it did pretty well. Yeah, um, they're not losing money. Um, Martin Brest, uh, the director, coming off the back of Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop, yeah. And also directed Al Pacino to an Academy Award Incentive Woman after this film... And then, and then directed Jilly. And ended his career forever. He yeah. has not directed a film since 2003. It's so weird that, like, he's just, yeah, you look at his, his credits and they just stop in 2003. Yeah. That's it. Um, he was also removed from the film War Games as well by the right. producer. So maybe he's a difficult bit. I have no look, idea. I do really enjoy this film, so I've read a lot about it. Um, Yafet Koto did say that he was a pain in the ass and would do endless takes of things. Right. Um, so, yeah, it could be possible that he's just not that great to work with. And then also soundtrack by Danny Elfman, um, which, uh, yeah, this one's like, it's when you hear the name Danny Elfman, you kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, Simpsons theme, Tim Burton. But this doesn't sound like any of that at all. And the soundtrack I thought was quite good. Yeah. I, I, it's it's a kind of a jazz, uh, bluesy sort of, yeah, it moves the film along. It, it mm. definitely the soundtrack really sets the tone for the film yep. in a really kind of prescriptive way, and, and it's it's light. I mean, even though this is like there's you know mafia, you know hitmen, and there's like there's genuinely violent scenes in this. Like there's a helicopter gunship yes. comes after them at one point. <laughs> it's a genuinely light film, and and as in an ending scene when you know the the ending scene is. De Niro gets Dennis Farina on a conspiracy charge so that, you know, in this sort of 
sideways deal so that the Yafet Koto, the FBI man, will let him go and he can... So that he can cash in on, on the bounty. Exactly. Um, there's no big shootout at the end. It actually yes, ends with the shootout being avoided. So I was like, okay, that was a really good choice tonally because mm. if they had done a huge shootout and people were dying, I'd be like, well, this is a much different film. Well, And the other thing is I think only two people die in the film. Oh, and the hel- when the helicopter gunship oh, no, goes maybe, down. Okay, let's say let's say five. There's the two guys who shoot up the bus stop that they get killed by the FBI. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, the helicopter that crashes. But other than that, there isn't. It isn't the kind of film that is has mass action film casualties. No, no, it isn't. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's really a game of cat and mouse along the way. It's it's yeah. about it's about the it's about the ride. I mean, the, I mean, no pun intended. And it's and it's, but, and it's about all the the clever things that Jack Walsh and Marvin do as bounty hunters in order to find people and get them to where they need to be. As well, yeah. That's and it's it's really I mean if you could boil this film down it's about the interplay of Charles Grodin and yeah. Robert De Niro it's it's about one guy annoying the crap out of the other yeah but that's what these <laughs> movies are like they're always like one guy's incredibly annoying and the other guy's like I can't take it anymore <laughs> and yeah just gets excessively angry for no reason yeah um, yeah no and and that's that's the stuff I love but I also there's also little details in in the film that I enjoy as well um, stuff like. Um, things like how he, how Jack Walsh picks a lock, and also how he hotwires a car at one point. They seem so different and and complex in comparison to how we've seen them in other films. You go, kind of go, maybe that's actually how that's done. Oh, interesting. You've seen this movie a few more times than I have, but yeah. I didn't pick up on that. Well, because like um, he hotwires a car, and in order to do it, he like it's this Ute, and he like pulls a wire out of the side of the the tray of the Ute, which runs along, and then pulls it out, and then pops the bonnet, and then like brings the wire around and like winds up something underneath the bonnet, and then all of a sudden it starts. Which when we've seen that in a Hollywood film, it's someone gets into the driver's seat, pops a bit of plastic from behind the steering column, and there happens to be some bare wires, and it's boom. Yeah, it's and convenient. There's always, you know, un- there's always exposed wiring. In yeah, the- <laughs> exactly. And and your credit, you know, you stick your credit card into a into a door and yeah. wiggle it a little bit. Hey, the door pops. Yeah, open. exactly. It's 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 things like that that um, that yeah, that seem interesting. And also, like he taps a cordless phone to in order to like find out where Charles Grodin is at the start of the yeah. film. Like just these these little surveillance techniques and sort of espionage stuff. I'm like. Okay, maybe this would actually work. Because yeah, that's right. He he records the cordless. He taps into the cordless phone to prompt them to make a phone call, so then he can hear the numbers that that person is calling and figure out what that phone number is. Yeah, and look, and it's clever. I mean, the whole thing too is with De Niro's character, Jack Walsh is like he's forced out of the 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 way the story dovetails in on itself. What what actually gives the story the the character meat is that mm. the mobster that. The Duke steals the money from, and, and well, so the Duke steals the money and gives it all to charity. Yeah, and so well, he's most like, of but it. that's the same, you know, mobster who drove De Niro out, out of Chicago because from, he wouldn't because he wouldn't go on the payroll because he wouldn't go on the take. Yeah, and so it, it plays with you know, you know, oh, well, Charles Grodin. As soon as he goes to jail, as soon as the Duke goes to jail, he's going to be killed by the guy who. De Niro refused to take a payoff for it. Yeah. So he's doing he's doing the thing to get his money. De Niro's doing the thing to get his money, but he's actually kind of betraying himself in, the se- in a sense. And that's what leads to ultimately he lets him go at the end. Yeah, and he also and there's also that moment where like Charles is constantly trying to get him to reconcile with his ex-wife and his daughter. Um, and yeah, so the, the, yeah, Jack Walsh's character has there's quite a lot 
behind him. He's not just some angry dude who's a bounty hunter because he was a shit cop or something like that. He's actually was a great cop who was driven into bounty hunting because of these reasons, um, which again I think is is great. And if and yeah, <laughs> I, no, I liked it. I, 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 all that stuff I really appreciated. I thought that that really gave the script dimension that it wouldn't have had otherwise. And that's mm. that's the strength of this movie is the characters. Yeah, all of the characters for the most part feel pretty fleshed out. Yeah, for sure. And just some great dialogue. I mean, was was so. What doesn't work for you in this film? Um, look, I, in, in a sense, the thing that didn't work for me was that the script, while I, while I appreciated a lot of what they were doing, it felt a little bit tired in the sense that like some of the, some of the scenes, like getting from one scene to the next, yeah. felt cumbersome. Yeah, and right. that was the thing that like really made it drag for me, like made, the, made this, this movie drag was that there was a lot of like we we know what's we essentially know what's going to happen. Yeah. So that gives the freedom for the filmmaker to play a lot more. And I thought there was a lot of missed opportunities to play. Right. In the sense of like, you know, oh, you know, Joey's calling uh Tony in Las Vegas and there's just a lot of cliché dialogue around like in those sort of transitional scenes like we're getting from one place to the next. Yep. I thought they could have you know, cranked it up to eleven. There was just there was just too much yeah. of, you know, moving moving the story along. Or but like, we we know what's going to happen at the end of the scene. So just say funny, make wisecracks within it. And then yeah, I it definitely had a lot less action and set pieces in it than I remember. I feel like it. Yeah, it was the pace of the film was a lot slower than I remember it being. Um, like I liked I liked some of the the dialogue scenes, but I think I'm kind of the point I'm trying to make is similar to yours in that it's like it, it took us a while to get there. And it took us a while to get to the to the fun parts that I remember at some points. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was probably a, a thing for me. And so in terms of like rewatchability for this film, I, um, yeah, I just don't think it, 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 it has as much rewatchability as I initially thought it did. I probably wouldn't go back to it. Yeah. Um, although I w- one thing I will say is I really like the twist at the end. I mean, I knew... That you know Jack is gonna let the Duke go free at the yeah. end. I mean, it's pretty obvious. But when the Duke hands him the money, I was like, okay, I yeah. actually generally didn't see that coming. And okay. I was like, all right, little tip of the hat there for you. Yeah. No, I um. So I like but, see, I, I, see the other side of that is kind of like, but at the end of the day, what that means is is that the character gets. I guess yeah, he's getting rewarded for making the good choice. Like it's no, there's no gray in that. There's, it's 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 kind of black and white. It's like, oh, okay, he he made the good choice, which also means he got three times the amount of money he was going to get anyway. Not that he knew that was going to happen, but it's a very Hollywood ending in that sense. In that, like, our hero is left still better than than where he started from both a financial standpoint as well as probably a psychological slash emotional one. Yeah, we got back in touch with his wife and kid, yeah. and you know he hadn't seen his kid in nine years. And I mean, even though he does leave his ex wife's car at you know, somewhere where, outside where, of where Sedona, Arizona, Amarillo, Texas or something. <laughs> like they never really go, they never really circle back to that. Like, sorry, honey, you borrow, I, I know I borrowed your car to get a fugitive across the country in Chicago and I've left it somewhere outside of, you know, yeah, Texas. I'll, I'll pay you back. Well, he's got the money now. That's true. He does have the money. He had a thousand dollar bills, which, you know, <laughs> they don't really make those anyway. Well, yeah, no, that's, 
That that's actually one thing that I found weird. Like I've never seen a thousand dollar bill before. I'd seen this film. Those are real. Those they but they're not in general circulation. They're used as like kind of like bearer bonds. Ah, like, right. Uh, banks and stuff will keep them. Yep. Uh, I, I think they've potentially gone a bit out of fashion, but they definitely that, that's it's real. It's not just made up. There are there were a thousand dollar bills. Right, and then of course we get that fantastic line at the very end where he tries to get a cab and he goes, "You got change for a thousand. Because that's yeah, all like he's, she's got on him. Yeah, he's got a, yeah, exactly. He's only going to walk. I wouldn't just. I'm just going on record. I would not be walking through El Segundo at night with three hundred thousand oh dollars in cash. So that's the thing is that his character was carrying it the whole time. Yeah, well, that's, that, but that's, that was the twist. Like I didn't see that. I didn't see that. It was good. I liked it. Um, yeah, no, I just yeah, the character stuff in this was so good. Like I'm just looking at the notes that I wrote down. Like the um, like when. One scene where the gangsters are on the phone to one of them's on the phone to Dennis Farina's character, to, to Serrano. And so one gangster's on the phone on the payphone, and the other one is like boxing him, like just kind of stuffing around. Oh, yeah. And it's like just like little moments like that. You don't, I don't think like you see that very often in films. Like he's just, this guy's just bored out of his brain while his mate's on the phone. So he's just like boxing, being like, yeah, just, I'm just trying to pass the time. And then the guy's like trying to fend him off, like he's just some child. Like it just, there's little things like that that I just loved in this film so much. And that's that's what I'm saying is like I wanted more of that. Right. To me, and like maybe this is just my sensibilities. It very could could be because I love, mm. you know, family guy sort of <laughs> everything in the kitchen sink type stuff. Yeah. But to me, it seemed like we needed more of those types of scenes. Like we right. needed more of that character interplay because we know we know we it's it's a foregone conclusion of what's gonna happen. Yeah. So it's it's not yeah we don't need to worry too much about that. Um, so I mean, should we move on to sort of the context in which this film came out? Sure. I mean, I don't. <laughs> well, no. So let's do it. I mean, the the, the one thing that's probably worth pointing out. Nineteen eighty eight, the election of George Herbert Walker Bush. Woo! Um, really ushered in a new era of filmmaking. Yeah. But um, we look at out back with on the this old, now. in with the old, <laughs> out with Reagan, in with another old white man. But we look back on this film now and we kind of go, oh, yeah, Robert De Niro, like he did this, this, you know, comedy film. That's weird. It was still weird for then because he actually wasn't, he was a great actor, but he wasn't a massive star, like a massive bankable star at that point. Oh, really? Okay. No, like I've read a couple of things and they said like this is the, this is the one that made him a bankable star. Like, yes, he had done Taxi Driver and um, Raging Bull. Raging Bull and The Godfather Part Two, but small little indie art house film. Well, are they are they films that destroyed the box office and were like massive studio films? Well, Jake LaMotta destroyed his opposition. You know, <laughs> Sugar but, Ray never took him down. <laughs> but otherwise, like these were like you know, uh, th- these weren't your typical yeah. blockbuster summer. Hollywood fair. No, no. I mean, right? Taxi Driver is a psychological journey into exactly. A, Man with PTSD's brain, you know, a descent into madness. Whereas if you if you look back on what like De Niro had done up to that to that point, he hadn't really done anything that was super Hollywood friendly. Okay, and this was his uh, maybe The Untouchables actually is probably yeah, but one he's that definitely not the lead in that. Like he's yeah. he is the villain, and I mean Kevin Costner and Andy Garcia and was it uh, Sean Connery are the are the he, he's he's third banana, fourth banana in that movie. Yeah, so. Yeah, so I mean, he also did the Deer Hunter in '78, which I haven't seen. Oh but God, F- phenomenal! Just 
this, that film is amazing. Right. But again, is that... I mean, look, we wouldn't call yeah. it Oscar bait then, but I mean, you're right. That movie's a three-hour movie about... <laughs> <laughs> about men going to Vietnam and being scarred by it and how they recreate their lives. Yeah, I mean, but just, just looking at what he'd done in the 80s, uh, Brazil, um, Once Upon a Time in America. That was the one about waxing, wasn't it? I don't know. I just know it's a Terry Gilliam film. And no, I'm pretty weird. sure Brazil is about waxing. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm going to let you have that joke because I don't know. I, don't, I have no context for the joke. I'm just going to pretend like it's a thing that people are going to understand. Um, the king of comedy. You don't understand what a Brazilian t- wax is? Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> you are missing out, my friend. <laughs> so missing out. But um, this is the film that, yeah, made him seem bankable because he was able to do this mainstream action comedy film oh, yeah. okay. and do it really well and it did fine. And like he that, probably didn't, hadn't shown off his comedy chops before this. Well, this I think he wanted to do a comedy. This that is, was, you know, that was way before Analyze This or Analyze That. Yes. <laughs> Or the Fockers. Well, see, I mean, yeah, see that's the interesting thing is that, yeah, the stuff that he did in the noughties and sort of in, the, in this current decade is this is a precursor to that. Mm. I mean, because he does, I mean, he's a great, he's a really good comic actor. But, um, but yeah, in terms of the, the context, there's really not much, else, like, there's not, there's no women in this film apart from his ex wife and his daughter. Oh, yeah, you're right. Which is worth pointing out. Um, every single character is a man. No pack, no pass of the Bechdel test here. <laughs> Fuck no. Um, it's actually, yeah, that's probably one sort of blow against the film is that. Um, oh, yeah, you're right. There's literally... Literally no women. There's literally just his wife and daughter. And that's it. There's the... There's no girlfriend character. No. Oh, there's, there's Charles Grodin's wife, who's yeah. actually in, in one of my... She has a bit part in one of my all-time favorite movies, What About Bob? But anyways, <laughs> let's not go there. But, um, but, yeah, like I think that's probably a pretty decent criticism you could level against this. But the film does what it sets out to do at the end of the day. And I guess one thing you could say is that romance doesn't get in the way of, of the story. Like it doesn't feel... like Because, so, you know, some films, some of these, you know, boring action films, there'll be a romance plot because they feel like it has to be there so that a guy can drag his girlfriend into the cinema to watch it, right? Yeah, it's crowbarred in. Yeah, whereas this this is not the situation at all. Yeah. Bold choice. Well done, Mark Martin. Yes. Mr. Um, Breast. <laughs> yes, Mr. Breast. Um, so in terms of the the way the film was made... Um, Do we want to add anything else for the cultural context? I don't think There's so. not really much to there, say. No, because it doesn't really... <laughs> it's a bunch of white guys doing white guy stuff. Except for Alonzo Mosley. Like, <laughs> Except yeah. for... Yeah, yeah. But, um, but like, yeah, there's, it, doesn't, it doesn't... I mean, the, one of the interesting things is that the stuff that takes place in an airport, like... Oh, that's the, the airports that, are always the pre yeah. There's uh, the perennial pre nine eleven con. <laughs> yeah. I gotta take the cuffs off you and check my check my gun and my luggage. Yeah, like what? He's got this massive fucking. And also, um, is it Marvin? He's got like a he's got at the end in the last scene in the airport. He's got a shotgun in his baggage in his bag as he's buying the ticket to fly out of um, L.A. Yeah. Oh, I did like that that paid off at the end because there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a runner throughout the movie where De Niro goes, hey, Marvin, look at that, and then punches Marvin in the face. S- yes. And then it pays off in the third one. It's like, no, Marvin, there's actually a guy behind you. <laughs> yeah. So it's the crying wolf. And, and actually, that, that pays off well. This film has a lot of payoffs like that. Yeah, true. Uh, Marvin and um, Jack constantly saying to each other, see you in L.A. They do it about three or four times throughout the film. And, of course, also the thing with him punching him as well. The stuff with Marvin um, taking people out with a car door as well. 
love that's great. Yeah, that was a great little character moment. Marvin uses his wields his <laughs> car door as a weapon, and like Alonzo keeps stealing Marvin's um, cigarettes. cigarettes. Yeah, there's a lot of runners. The You're sunglass right. stuff with between Jack and Alonzo as well. Yeah, and also the stuff with Alonzo Mosley. Like all of these Alonzo Mosleys impersonating him, popping up around <laughs> across America. Like. And he progressively gets more and more irritated. Yeah. See, this is this is the thing is that like I felt that this film, you could almost remake it and do a really good job. Like if you could take the script as yeah. is, shoot the script as is today, mm. and just amp up the comedy a little better. Yeah, it could just it could be a little bit. It could be just as good, if not better, than it is now. Yeah, because to me, I felt that like there are a lot of those really solid like built-in running jokes, like mm. the, the stealing of the cigarettes, the sunglasses, the Hey Marvin. And those are all; those all have to be written because they have to be referenced, back, you know, later. True. Yeah. But to me, it's like the 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 failing point of the script, and this is this is getting into the filmmaking process, is that what's the script? I both liked it for that reason, and I felt it let it down for the same reason that there just wasn't enough there. Like it's it's these movies are like rom coms in a sense. We right. know what the ending is. Yeah. So the fun is actually in the execution. It's it's all it's all it's all the meat in the sandwich. It's not the it's not the it's not the stuff at the start and the end. It's yeah, it's what it's how we get there that it's like a romantic comedy. It's execution dependent. Yep. It's it's based on does the is the star gonna get the cinema going audience into the cinema and once they're in the cinema, are they gonna have a good time? And, Beca- depending yeah, and, on how well you've executed the film. And then tell all their friends to come and watch it as well. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas Guardians of the Galaxy, hey, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. It, exactly, it, it does not matter if that movie is good or not. No. They are good movies. They are good movies. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really liked about, we're talking about Danny Elfman's score before and how it really set the tone for the film was, yeah, and I just kind of wanted to, to address that again, like particularly with um, Alonzo Mosley. Like there's there's a bit in the score that is just for him and it's whenever he finds out about something or like when he gets b- dragged back into the plot again, like after he loses Jack um, and the Duke, there's just this little underscore that kind of kicks in and it's like, and, and you can just see like the cogs in Alonzo's brain turning and being like, yeah, okay, I think I finally got him. And then, of course, he never ends up getting them like ever at all. But, yeah, the the score, as you said before, the score works really well to help set the tone for the film in those moments occasionally, um, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like this is, and this is, I think, a key thing for, because this is, this is a road movie. This yep. is, a, this is a, sub, a subset of the road movie genre, mm. the annoying Person, the, the annoying co-pilot road movie, yeah, z- uh, subgenre, is that this road movies the score is incredibly important because so it's about movement. Mm. The score it, is not actively adding to what's happening, then it's actively detracting from what's going on. Yeah, right. Like a film like uh, that, like you know the Die Hard type movies. Mm-hmm. You know the, the 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 hermetically sealed environment. That's about tension and release. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is about moving. We're moving from. We're always moving from one place to another. Yeah. And so having that that pacing with the music, or, or having those signposts, is like okay, we're, this is the movement music, or this is the, this type of music. Mm-hmm. That becomes much more vital than it would be in in a t- in a in a different kind of action movie. Yeah. Yeah, where no. Not, where you're not moving. Yeah, it's done, and it's done really well. I I also thought the the use of improv in the film is interesting. Like I just didn't wouldn't expect it to have improv, but it does. So there was there was two two scenes in particular. Um, one is when they're in the boxcar on the train, and 
and and uh, the Duke is trying to get Jack to open up about his busted watch. Oh, the the watch thing is something that De Niro brought to the film, like not wasn't in the script. Funnily oh, yeah. enough, oh, there which you is go. which is really interesting because that's another payoff. That's yeah, another yeah. thing that is reincorporated. Talk about it. But um, but yeah, so uh, the Duke's line about have you ever had sex with animals, Jack? But he, but that I love I really love that scene because it's it's bizarre because it comes out of nowhere yeah well, but I guess it's, it's yeah if it's improvised it does well it start because it starts with the Duke having a conversation with himself as himself and Jack mm. which is bloody hilarious <laughs> like and it's funny it's it's almost very meta in a sense it's like it just boils down the whole film into this twenty seconds of him telling himself to fuck off um, and yeah the the sex with animals line the reason that was there is because they needed something to make that would make Jack Walsh slash Robert De Niro crack a little bit and open up. And that was and Martin Brest said to him, you need to say something that is going to make him laugh. And he apparently spent like 10 days trying to figure out what would make um, De Niro laugh and it was sex with animals and then talking about the chickens that they'd seen. Like, and it, I think yeah, that's it, a real insight into the <laughs> personality of Robert yeah, De Niro. John, and, and Charles Cronin. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and the other scene, which is more classic improv scene, is, the, uh, is when they're trying to get the money off of the guys at the, at the bar so they can... With the the whole uh, litmus configuration thing, so yeah, the so the scene is that they need some money for they're they're they're, they're driving a hot wired car that they stole from some Indians, <laughs> and, and they're totally strapped for cash, and um, they and they pull this scam where they're um, they're saying oh these are counterfeit twenty dollar bills yeah, yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then he's like and and I just love it how he's like um, he says oh has it you know can you describe some of the people that have gone through here was there a guy um, about six foot. He's nah, six foot five. Yeah, did he have uh, brown hair? Uh, he's a kind of linish blood. Yeah, sounds exactly like our guy. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a really good line. <laughs> it's just so good. And yeah, they just end up walking out with like a hundred bucks, <laughs> and then jump on a freight train, and then jump on a freight train. Um, yeah, so that I, felt a little bit kind of that. That was the one misstep I right. felt in terms of because like because with these types of movies. Obviously, in the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, it says yep. exactly what they're going to have to do. But they're always ha- they have to change modes of transport. Right. So it's how do you make those changes in modes of transport believable? Yeah. And that was the one failure I felt. Like, because yeah, why didn't he just keep driving the car? I mean, it was. I mean, the car is stolen, but. And it also costs money to run a car, but then it's like, yeah, you've got to dive off of a freight train. Yeah, that was the one because that's the when because the the bar owner sees the two of them jumping into the freight train and that's right. what makes them call the FBI. Yeah. So I was like, to me, I was like, uh, why are they jumping onto a train? That's like, it's yeah, it is a forced, it is very much a forced change. Yeah. I thought the use of improv was unexpected, but yeah, it was done quite well. And I think I would have liked to see more of that. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, Robert De Niro is known for improvising. I mean, he's right. a, you know, he's a, very good actor. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I mean, you sort of t- spoken about like how you feel that some of the scenes in the film could have done with more punching up in, you know, in terms of on set, like getting more comedy into them. Is there any? That's it. Cause there's so many phone calls back and forth between people. That's the thing is that because mm. part of the conceit is that like the way that people are figuring out where Jack and the Duke are is through the phone calls back to the bail bondsman, back yeah. to Marconi. Mm. And Marconi's offsider is on the take from the mob. Yeah. So he's relaying information to the mob. So like, there's so many phone calls back and forth between 
Marconi, the mobsters, or the, the offsider to the mobsters, the mobsters to Dennis Farina, the, the head boss guy. There's so many different phone calls back and forth yeah. that it's like those are the scenes that I felt were really cumbersome right. and like like could have been punched up. Like it yeah. could have had more energy within them. Right. Because like, and maybe this is an issue of the time because if they're all on pay phones and stuff all the time. They, yeah. They can't, they're they're literally, with the, with the telephone calls, they're literally locked to a, loca- a single location. They can't yeah, walk yeah. around. So that's the thing that, that, the, all those successive telephone calls because they, you know, Jack has to call back to get money from from the bail bondsman. Jack has to call this person for that. Da 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 da. Yeah. And so they lock you into a single place. Yeah. Right. And so Marconi is always in the office. Now yeah. it's good for the budget because you don't have to. And also, uh, yeah, good for Dennis Farina as well because I think he was shooting a TV show in, in Las Vegas at the time. So like all of his stuff was shot in Vegas. Except for oh, obviously the final scene. Oh, what, Crime Story? I would have been Crime Story. Yeah, 80, yeah, yeah. 80s, yeah. So, um, yeah, see, because, yeah, see, I didn't notice that as much, but I think it's it's definitely a really good point because, um, yeah, I was just happy to go back to Joe Pantoliano being, you know, exasperated over the fact that for some reason the Duke is still not in LA and he's on the hook for 450 grand. Like, for me, that was, it was enough just just seeing that. But you're right. Like, if if there was more effort put into those scenes... And even ones, yeah, with like Dennis Farina is just doing Dennis Farina things. Like he doesn't really, there isn't a hell of a lot more. Like, yeah, he was much probably much better in 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 Snatch, which I mean came out you know almost twenty years later, doing that role of being like the angry mobster guy than in this film, purely because I think he just had probably had more he had more to work with in that film. Whereas, yeah, I mean. Uh, He's, there's nothing much for him to play with here. True. It was interesting seeing Philip Baker Hall too as the <laughs> as like I guess it's kind of a lawyer or something like that. You know? Yeah, that was a really weird, random one. Like he was just like, yeah, the telling him what he should and shouldn't do, but it almost felt unnecessary. Like I don't know why that character was there. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I love I love Philip Baker Hall. Yeah, but I just was like, why is he even here? Like it was never even clear that he was the lawyer. It sort of it was implied that he's like the lawyer. Like get off the phone. Don't talk about this on the phone and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's like who we actually don't know who he is. I think he's kind of like his consigliere or possibly. I think there is a line in there something where it makes him sound more like a lawyer because he sort of doesn't. He really doesn't. He really advises him to not do anything, you know, overtly illegal. Yeah, and but this is again, but this is like the sort of trope that, like, you know, we saw a lot in this type of films in this mm. day and age. It's like the like, don't do anything illegal. You know, it's <laughs> the, the kind of the Jiminy Cricket, you know, sort yeah. of lawyer character. You know, like it's like, man, don't need it. Yeah. Don't need it. But I think this movie would be completely destroyed if there was such a thing as mobile phones, because Jack would just text Marconi. Yeah. I mean, and these are like the little things like that well, when I said, you know, you could potentially remake this film now and it, it could be a lot better. Maybe that couldn't be true because, yeah, why, why, how would they have the wiretaps? Like, well, uh, you, could, you can still, yeah, whether or not there's a way to tap someone's mobile phone is one thing. But also the NSA has figured no, out. But battery, like that's the, if you're on the road and right. your cell phone runs out of juice, like... That's a very simple way of getting around it. Yeah, it would it would require a little bit more than sort of what you said of just like just filming the script again. Um, you'd need to retool it a little bit. But I don't think, yeah, it doesn't suffer too much from that. Tech- well, actually, no, it does suffer a lot from the technology thing. As you said, cell phones versus pay phones. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah no, 100%. They're, they're all locked into that. Look at, yeah, and those are, those are the scenes that really for me are the, 
are the are the failing points. Yeah. But like some in some scenes too, like the Yafet Kodo Robert De Niro scene in the in the beginning where. Um, <laughs> It would start with kicks off the whole sunglasses yeah. thing. It's like, I felt that could be just, I could have been funnier. I just felt like, I was like, really? Could have, yeah. I just, I just love the bit at the end where like De Niro practices flipping out the badge. Like just, just that, that part. Like, oh, I like just, that was I a good, that, that was a good button on the scene. Um, yeah. I just felt it could have, it just could have crackled a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe I like, you know what it is? This is, it's just because I love people being wise asses. Yeah. You just wanted to load <laughs> it up. I don't know why. I don't know. <laughs> I a mystery. Well, I'm, a, I'm a mystery to myself sometimes, Antonio. Ah, you're 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 a mystery wrapped up in an enigma. Yeah, um, I'm deep like a puddle on a hot summer day. <laughs> this is the one other thing is there's so much smoking in this movie. Yeah, De Niro there's, smokes like, like a chimney. It's like Mad Men. Yeah, <laughs> there's just smoke so much. Everybody's smoking all the time, every place, everywhere. Everyone, yeah, no, it's, and and the funny thing is, for me, when seeing that for the first time, you go, oh, it's the eighties, like they didn't know better. But Charles there was Grodin's no such character, thing as cancer, like, <laughs> well, no, but Charles Grodin's character actually makes a point of it when they're on the bus. Yeah, well, see, and that's another thing. That's the other thing that that fell flat to me, actually. Now that we're mentioning that, now that we're mentioning this, uh, is the Charles Grodin getting after De Niro for being unhealthy and smoking, and it's like, it's like you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't eat the chicken, you know, fried chicken yeah. and stuff like that. That to me, but that's 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 just dated in the sense of like you know what we would talk about. You know, now it would be like gluten free or something like that. Yeah, but I feel like that is also it's 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 him figuring out who Jack Walsh is and eventually going like, oh, you're just constantly angry. It's like he he eats bad food because it tastes good. Like he's 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 a man of short term gain versus like short term loss to get long term gain. Like short term gain, long term loss versus the other way around it and I think that's his way of picking him apart and eventually being able to get him to crack when they're on the boxcar and okay yeah but yeah no again yeah it doesn't didn't really have a lot of teeth or grit to it that's that's it that's to me it's like it's like uh this whole like you know smoking's bad for you it's like well yeah like well yeah we know but that's but that's that's in the aging that's in the yeah but yeah and in the end it's it's also in terms of the experience of the film it's another way for them to to bash heads essentially yeah, and it, and the and the and the you know Yafet Koto is stealing Marvin's cigarettes all the time. That's a good little. I love that runner. I yeah. love that. Those, those are good. Okay, so I mean, overall, this like your final review of this film. Yeah, what 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 would you say to put a little bow on this? To to tie it up, I would say this is a good film. This is a good film for the time and place that it came out. Right. I'm I'm appreciative. That I've watched it in terms of film history. Yeah, right. That I now have seen one more Robert De Niro movie, but I, I can safely say that I most likely will not return to this. Yeah, I yeah. For me, I think it's one of those films that um, that if it's on TV, I'd be like, and you've got nothing better to do, definitely watch it for sure. And it's also one of those films where I feel like you don't know when you don't know what you want to watch, chuck it on because chances are you're going to enjoy it. And you're gonna feel like you know what those last couple of hours I yeah I watched something that I kind of enjoyed rather than like spending half an hour on Netflix or your video on demand service of choice being like fuck what oh, am that's I the worst watch? isn't it yeah. yeah I think this is this is God it's, it's so a, hard <laughs> so hard so, so hard much having you know like 
got to go back to between Amazon Prime and Netflix and yeah, uh, and Stan. Then we're gonna have CBS All Access. Uh, soon. Oh my god, it's so um, difficult being us. Exactly. So I think it's. I feel like it's one of those things where you can just chuck it on to to you know cure the boredom for two hours. Yeah, that. And I will say, from a writer's perspective, watch this movie to see all the runners that they have, all the running jokes that they have. Yeah, that is really good. Yeah, that is really good and it all the characters and this is the other thing i'll say too all the characters have really clear motivations Mm -hmm. and there was a very clear dilemma in the movie as well yeah that is another thing that i felt and i think that yeah the only thing this movie suffers from is age it's just it's, it's, it's literally the only thing it suffers from is age because in terms of de niro's um character motivations yeah, the only one that really actually Charles Grodin is the one that has the least character yeah, motivation. He doesn't just to get away. He that's doesn't. It. He doesn't have a journey or anything like he that. He has no journey, and no. that's that's. Uh, I'll give that a little bit of a criticism there. I'll mark that as a criti- critical point. But De Niro's character, the whole thing of the irony of I'm turning you into the guy who ruined my. I'm turning you into be essentially killed mm. by the guy who ruined my career as a cop and destroyed my marriage. Yeah, that is a good dilemma to have. It's a great little. Is it Uruburus? Like this whole snake eating its own yeah. tail type thing. And it's like, possibly yeah. just not played up enough. I, right. I thought maybe they could have twisted the knife in a little bit harder. I also feel like... It is a, it is a comedy. Twisted, yeah. It is a light comedy. If they twisted the knife too much, it probably would have felt uh, forced and, yeah, a little overdramatic, I reckon. Sure. And, and yeah. like again, like you said, this movie is a comedy. At the end, there is no big shootout in the airport. Tragedy yeah. is averted. Yeah. So and what, that and that felt genuine. Yeah, and yeah, I think it was it was a great way to end the film. It was it was yeah, it was it was nice that it was different and yeah, it's like you've seen enough set pieces up until that point. It just yeah, there didn't need to be a massive you know ridiculous massacre in an airport. It would it would have felt really out of place. Yeah. All right. So in conclusion, give us your give what's your review? I give this film ten out of twelve Alonzo Mosleys. Oh, yes, because there was a lot of there different people. There were so people. many Alonzo Mosley's in the, this film. Yeah, okay, that's good. I will give this film five out of seven aviator sunglasses. So uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you on the flip-flop. See ya when we flip over the laser disc. Yes. And just before we go, we, well, you know, we, we got to do it. We got we to gotta plug social media. Like us on Facebook at TOFTS Podcast and follow us on Twitter at TOFTS Podcast to stay up to date and send us any movie review suggestions. Make sure you also subscribe on your podcasting app of choice and leave us a review. It helps. It really does. give this uh i'll give this film uh, whoa shit, sorry <laughs> <laughs> keep that in fuck yeah for sure <laughs>